I've always said that work-life balance is a myth, a crock of shit even. Why? Well, because it's impossible to separate our work lives from our personal lives and then our personal lives from our work lives. They will and should, to some extent, blend together. But just because they blend doesn't mean they should do so without boundaries. Without boundaries on either side of the equation, frustration and burnout is inevitable. Welcome to episode 58, where I'm joined by Caitlin Donovan to discuss boundaries, how to create them, and how we can keep them to avoid frustration and burnout. This episode is sponsored by Nickerson, a full-service branding and marketing, PR and communications agency with team members in Boston, LA, Miami, and New York City. Visit them at NickersonCOS.com. Welcome to This Shit Works, your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success with your host, Julie Brown. Here we go. It was hard not to let work seep into every part of our life prior to COVID. The constant checking of emails, text and Slack messages with team members, working on this or that just before bed. Back then, it didn't seem so intrusive since, at least for the most part, the bulk of our work life took place in a separate location from our personal life. The blurred, blended, opaque line between work and home has all but been erased. And so have the boundaries that came so naturally from separating work and life into two distinct physical geographical locations. Post-pandemic, we work more. Our limited social lives had led to the feeling that we should always be available for work, and this has inevitably affected our mental health. Not too long ago, we all thought that we're going back into the offices in the fall, but now it's the fall and the Delta variant is raging across the country and everything is once again up in the air. Truth is, we aren't sure when we will go back to an office or in-person office environments. This is why we need to create boundaries, and not just one. There are lots of different kinds of boundaries. Boundaries around our time, boundaries around people and relationships, boundaries around when we are available. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure how to create those boundaries and stick to them. I am trying, though, because I know the pace of my life pre-COVID was and is not sustainable, and I also know that I forced myself to work more hours during the pandemic because, let's face it, I felt like I needed to be pushing myself, and I had no excuse not to because, well, I had more time than before. So, boundaries. Thank God Caitlin Donovan is here with us today. Caitlin is not only a burnout expert, she is an acupuncturist, host of Fried, the Burnout Podcast, and author of the upcoming book, The Bounce Back Ability Factor, End Burnout, Gain Resilience, Change the World, and because I love accolades, Caitlin has also been featured in Forbes, Thrive Global, and Oprah Magazine. So I think she knows her shit. Thank you so much, Caitlin. Thank you so much for having me. I was listening to your intro and I'm thinking, oh, we can do something about that. You know, I was like ready to like get at it. (laughs) Let's do this. (laughs) When we had our prep meeting, when I first reached out to you, it was so funny because we got on, we had never met each other. And I, you literally said, how are you doing, Jules? And I just, I like word saladed. I was like, I am failing. I'm failing as it pertains to re-entering into the real world. And you started laughing at me. And you, the first thing you said was, Julie, 
you need to establish some internal and external boundaries. <laughs> so what truth? What are the was what are they? What are the difference between the two? This is such a major thing to talk about because I don't find this information anywhere. When I started writing my book on boundaries, which probably will take three years, so don't look for it yet. But when I started writing it, the first thing I did was type out my outline. And the next thing I did the next day was download all of the available books on boundaries so that I wasn't about to be repeating shit that people have already said. Here's what I found. Every single book says boundaries are about learning to say no. And I was like, literally the title that I chose, my working title is boundaries aren't about saying no. And I was like, okay, well, it looks like I'm writing a little something different here. And that difference falls in this window between internal and external boundaries. External boundaries are all the ones you mentioned in the intro, the boundaries that we put on our availability that we let people know when we can be reached and when we can't, the boundaries we put around our work, the boundaries we put around our email, et cetera, when it comes to what other people can do. External boundaries are about other people. They're about what we will allow people to do to us, with us, in our lives, with our schedules, right? Very simple. This is what people, almost everyone is talking about when they're talking about boundaries. Mm -hmm. This is the things you're afraid to say no to. Somebody asks you for something, you don't know what to do. Okay, fine. But before you can have great external boundaries, the first step is creating good internal boundaries. And internal boundaries are the ones where you abandon yourself for somebody else's wants, needs, and desires, even if they haven't asked you for anything. So for instance, you have, um, you know, a friend over, a, a good friend. So this is not somebody that you have to cater to. This is not your boss's wife. This is not, you know, you have a friend over and you gave them a glass of water when they showed up. And every 45 minutes, you're asking them if they want something else to drink. This is like one of your closest friends. Like if they want something to drink, they're an adult. They can ask you. Mm -hmm. You don't have to mother everybody all the time. This is an internal boundary. An internal boundary allows you to allow other adults to adult, <laughs> right? This is about not overstepping, not meddling, not fixing things that do not require your assistance. So I'm going to get, tell a story because this is where I started to catch myself in this process. I was living in Prague at the time. So I was taking the tram to work every day because there's no reason to drive in Prague. The tram costs right. 150 euros for the entire year and it goes everywhere and it's there's nowhere to park anyway. It's convenient, whatever. So I'm taking the tram and I would get on the tram and I only had eight stops till I get to my office. And I got on the tram and I noticed that every time I saw that there was an old woman waiting at the stop that we were about to approach, I was looking toward the seat that's reserved for the elderly, the disabled, the pregnant women, making sure it was free. I didn't just, I just pay attention to this, you guys, because this is literally none of my business, but here I am <laughs> sticking my nose in it and making sure that that seat is free for that old woman to the point where I'm judging the person that's sitting in the seat. I don't know if they're abled or not. I don't know what their situation is, you know, but here I am being like, um, that old woman is about to get on this tram and you're in that seat and you better move. Mm -hmm. right? I'm trying to take care of this. 
So in that instance, I'm abandoning my own wants, needs, preferences, and desires completely. I can't possibly know what my body needs from me because I'm so involved in this situation over to the left, right? So I'm obsessed with this little woman getting on the tram. She gets on the tram and I'm going to be the savior, obviously. Like, mm-hmm. excuse me, could you get up? Hello? Like, hello? And the little old woman says repeatedly, every single time I do, almost every time I do this, I got a couple of thank yous, but most of the time I got, I'm only going one stop. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. So I just got really emotionally involved, really self-righteous because my morality and my rules are the right morality and the correct rules. Mm-hmm. Right. All for literally nothing. And on top of it, my kindness is super arrogant, right? Because I'm totally judging this person who's sitting in the seat and I don't know their situation. And I'm stealing the voice of an old woman. What makes me think that this woman who's been riding this tram for 80 years can't ask somebody to get up if she wants to? What is like, what? So this comes with being overly considerate Right. So if you, for instance, are the type of person, this is such a Boston thing. You'll think this is hysterical. If you're the type of person who gets to a store and you open the door and you look behind you and you know, somebody's coming, uh-huh. it's a little bit of an awkward timing. Like if, if you the just timing in, has to be right, the timing, the timing has, to right. has to be right. But you're in that like awkward phase where if you close it, it's going to slam on them. But if you hold it, you have to wait. Yep. And you decide to hold it because yeah. you're you in your mind and your body are a good person, quote unquote, good person. And if they don't say thank you, I and, yell, mm-hmm. you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> right. This type of passive aggressive oh behavior. Yes, I'm aggressive. I'm passive aggressive. This is this is super passive aggressive. Right. It's not helpful. And you're not kind. <laughs> Get over yourself. Nobody asked you to do this. I've never considered myself a kind person, but. <laughs> I've never considered myself overly kind, but I am that person. It's with everything. I I say you're welcome just so they say, oh, thank you. Yeah, but why? Because I grew up that way. I was taught that. I I know. But think about why. Yeah, you hold the door. No, you didn't learn that you hold the door. You learned I'm going to do this thing for you and you're going to be grateful. Yes, that's right. Right? You don't get to decide that. I was raised by mean women. (laughs) But you don't get to decide that for other people. Yeah. yeah. You don't get to decide if they're in the mood to say thank you. You don't get to decide if they are grieving a loved one that day. You don't get to decide if they are on the phone and they have this crazy important phone call. You don't get to decide if their kid just went into the hospital and they don't even notice you open the door. They just notice they didn't have, you know, you don't get to decide that that person is a jerk for not saying you're welcome. Thank you to you. You don't get to decide that. This is a self-absorption thing is what you're saying. And this is about internal boundaries because you've created this idea. Like I'm going to do this thing. You're going to respond the Mm -hmm. way I intend. And then I'm going to get the reward for doing this thing that I did. And everybody's going to be satisfied. Yeah. Right. But nobody asked you to hold the damn door. This is super common in women because we are so accustomed to sacrificing our own wants, needs, desires, and preferences for the assumed comfort of other people Mm -hmm. that we have stopped asking people what they actually need to be comfortable and started just giving the world what we assume it needs and then being mad because we're not getting back. Right. 
what we expect because we read everybody else's minds all day long. We assume everybody else is reading our minds. And we're like, why didn't my friend offer me another drink? My water has been empty. For Shut up. You're an adult. Ask Tell her. her you're thirsty. Right. If you don't have the ability to manage this internal boundary, to pull yourself out of situations that don't belong to you, to not over care for people, to keep your energy in your own body so that you can be in touch with what you need and want and desire and prefer. Right? If you're abandoning yourself to pay attention to what everybody else's needs are, there's no way you can create good external boundaries mm -hmm. because you're not even in your body enough to know what belongs to you and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so every time you put something out there that says, no, you feel like a jerk because you're so accustomed to saying yes before people even ask for anything. Yes. One thing I've learned owning my company now for a few years is a, a no is enough. I don't have to say no because, no explain, because I feel like we always have to, we have to justify our no. Like, can you yeah. do this? No. And then we always feel like we have to say why we can't do it. But no is enough. Yeah. No is sometimes enough. And sometimes it's jerky. <laughs> sometimes. It's okay for no to be enough when no is enough. Mm -hmm. In my set of rules, boundaries need to be three things, clear, kind, and concise. Okay. No fits that. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's okay. But sometimes it's just not really polite to say it that way. Mm -hmm. Sometimes. <laughs> so it's okay not to justify things, mm -hmm. but simply so that the other person understands where you're coming from. So they don't have any lingering stuff about you. Mm -hmm. There's no need for that. Right? right. You don't always have to do that very frequently. No is enough, but, but that's not a, I don't, I don't agree with that hundred percent of the time. So an example of a really bad boundary, which was an example of someone who needs work on their internal boundaries rather than the external boundaries is this. I bought a template from an online company, that's all they do is make templates. And of course you can buy the template 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? Because right. it's it's online. So I buy the template and I was trying to figure something out. I had a question. I sent the question Friday at 2 p.m. Friday at 5.15, they responded to me answering my question. And I shot back just a thank you. Their automatic responder to my thank you, which gets turned on automatically at five o'clock was, we are just so obsessed with our work that we're constantly checking our email. And so we really appreciate if you can stick to emailing us between nine and five, because otherwise we're going to get your email after five and it's going to really bother us. And it's going to interfere with our work-life balance. And like, whoa, whoa, it is not my job mm -hmm. to maintain your internal boundary. If right. you don't want to check your email after five o'clock, stop checking your email after five o'clock. You sell things 24 hours a day, seven days a week on the internet. You think somebody in Sri Lanka is going to double check their freaking calendar, the time zones before right. they email you because you can't manage your own energy? Right. No, no. This is why we need the internal boundaries first. Because an external, a good external boundary in that scenario sounds like, hi, thanks for emailing us. We'll get back to you within our business hours, nine to five Eastern. Right. Great external boundary, but okay. they were trying to put up an internal boundary for me. Yes. Got Does it. that make sense? No, this is why we need perfect. the internal boundary first, because we need to make sure that we are taking care of our piece of the equation. Okay. So how do we assess 
where we are failing on internal and external boundaries. Because you can say that we have to draw internal and external boundaries, but then you look at your life and how do we look at it and say, these are the parts of my life in which I need to start putting up boundaries and how do I do that? Giant red flag of resentment. (laughs) Okay. This is the easiest answer on the planet. Every time you have a resentment, you have a place where a boundary needs to be established. Your job is to determine whether that boundary belongs to you or whether that boundary belongs outside of you. When you say resentment, you mean you wish you weren't doing this activity. Is that what you're I mean, you get an email from a colleague who always asks you for help. You always help them, but it's not really your job to help them. And you wish that they would do their damn job themselves. Mm-hmm. And you get an email from them again on a Monday morning and you think this right? You're like whispering under your breath, swearing about who this person is because you're so annoyed Mm -hmm. that you have to do this again. Like you don't have to do this again, first Mm -hmm. of all. But most importantly, it's these moments where where we're saying, you're welcome, where we feel like we have to, (laughs) right? (laughs) That that's resentment where we feel like we have to explain to somebody our point of view so that they understand how much we gave them and how grateful they should be. That's resentment. We're resentful every time we think we did more than the other person and we're not getting enough. Yep. Right. So you know that you have a boundary issue when you're feeling resentful, when you're getting passive aggressive, Mm -hmm. when you're using sarcasm to get through situations Yeah. Yeah. I know that one hurts. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just a sarcastic person. I think when you, there's a certain point where you, you know, they say you aren't funny if you had a good childhood, like sarcasm is just baked into me. It can be a protective measure and I use it as well. However, when it has thorns in it and it often does, there's a boundary issue. If you're using it just to be funny Mm -hmm. and not to teach a lesson, Go for it. Okay. If you're trying to teach somebody a lesson with your sarcasm or passive aggressiveness, oh, here I go again. Got to do this thing because nobody else will do it. Mm -hmm. It's not actually healthy. And there's a ton of research on how sarcasm actually influences your immune system and makes you less healthy. One of my best friends did a TED talk on it. Oh, really? Will you give Mm -hmm. us a link so we can put that in the show? Of course. That'd be great. Let me write that down so I don't forget. Talking a little bit about the immune system, and I know you've done a lot of research into neuroscience and and stress. I mean, you don't have to have a PhD to understand that stress is affecting us, but maybe we should have a conversation about how building boundaries will help with our stress and that will make these boundaries easier to maintain, I'm assuming. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that's really major about long-term chronic stress is that it affects, I mean, it affects your whole brain, but it enlarges a piece of your brain that's called the amygdala. Mm -hmm. And the amygdala is responsible for interpreting whether you are under threat. So -hmm. whether you should enter fight or flight or not. And when the amygdala is bigger, it's more sensitive and therefore reacts to more things. So this is when it's like, you're really frequently triggered Yes. Probably your amygdala is a little hypertrophic. It's a little bit overgrown and a little bit sensitive. And that happens with long-term chronic stress in everybody. That's just your, your body's natural reaction to that because your body is trying to keep you safe. So it says we're going to, everything's going to be a threat and we're going to recognize it immediately so that we can pull out and keep you safe. Mm -hmm. The other thing that happens is the front of your brain 
loses brain cells. So the amygdala gets bigger, this part of your brain gets smaller. When this part of your brain gets smaller, you lose the ability to filter your emotional responses. So in Viktor Frankl's A Man's Search for Meaning, he talks about the space between the stimulus and the response being a man's way to freedom. Knowing that you can choose how to respond is our freedom. And when you're burnt out and when you're at the sort of on this long-term chronic stress journey, you don't actually have that space between stimulus and response because you're scanning your environment, your amygdala is firing, and you don't have any logical filter for that emotional reaction because mm-hmm. your brain is literally not there. Right. So your reactions then will be a little spicier, a little sharper, mm-hmm. because you don't actually have the ability. So when you create good boundaries, what you're teaching your brain is that you are safe and that you are responsible for keeping yourself safe and you're okay with that. Mm-hmm. Setting a boundary is like closing your windows, locking your doors, and putting on your alarm system before you go to bed, saying, listen, you can rest now. You don't have to be on anymore. Does hmm. that make sense? No, it makes complete sense. And I think through COVID, we've seen a lot of things happening. Like, what is it called? The great, great resignation where yeah. people are like, fuck this not shit. Not doing this anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm. not doing this. And I think there's a lot of that. There's a lot of fuck this shit happening. That is one response, but we also have to do something productive with that. We have to make change with that. Started to do things in my life right now because I know I didn't understand when I was in it that the pace of my life was not sustainable. You know right. what? I knew it. I knew it because I would have conversations with my girlfriends and I would say like, how are we going to keep this up? But there was no change agent there. It was like, oh my God, how are we going to keep this up? And we just keep doing it. Right. After COVID, I realized that was not sustainable. So now I am trying to draw boundaries around how often I spend time with other people, how often I'm in the city, how many hours I spend in my office where I don't have any Zoom meetings, like a Zoom-free day. I am trying to make those boundaries and I'm trying to make them stick. And I think that's the problem with a lot of people is we, they're just like New Year's resolutions. We're really gung-ho when we first make them, but then life starts creeping back in. Like, how do we make boundaries stick? So the thing about this is that boundaries creates a picture of like the great wall of China, Mm -hmm. you know, we've got like a moat, a giant wall. It's three meters thick. Like boundaries are actually really flexible and your boundaries will change based on who you're talking to. If you like them, if you slept that night, Mm -hmm. boundaries are not meant to be pasted all over your office saying like, these are my boundaries, you know, like relax, Mm -hmm. do the best you can to stay within your own energetic space. And when you find yourself feeling resentful, pay attention to it and say, oh, it's time for a shift. That's it. Mm -hmm. You don't, you're not, you're going to be building boundaries and shifting them forever. When I first started coaching a few years ago, my schedule was wide open, right? Because I was like, I want people to have every available out. I don't want somebody to say no, because I don't have the hour that's available to them. Right. And then I started getting busy and I had like six calls in a day, six, one hour coaching calls. I don't know how many, that's a lot. That's a lot. It's a lot. And I was exhausted at the end of the day and it happened a few times. And then I started realizing that when I opened my calendar and I saw six calls, I felt 
anxious and a little resentful. Like, and I knew it was resentment because I was saying, don't these people know how busy I am? Yeah. Like, of course they don't. It's not, it's none, again, not any of their business. Just like, it's not my business. If the tire guy decides to undercharge me, it's not my client's business. If my schedule is full, Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to manage my availability, not them. Right. Right. So what did I do? Once I noticed there was resentment, I changed my calendar to only take four calls per day. Yep. I didn't have to talk to, and this is an internal boundary. I didn't have to discuss this with anyone. I didn't have to tell my clients to only book if they saw that there was four plus hours available on my calendar. Like that's a ridiculous request. Yeah. That's not their job. I just changed my availability. Yep. Then I had an open ending coaching contract. People would pay for six calls and I would not have an end date. I don't know what made me do that. I don't know why that, I don't know where that came from. I just didn't think of it. Mm-hmm. And then I had people that were two years later wanting a call, yeah. wanting their calls that they paid for at a rate that is like, not your rate anymore, not my rate anymore. Yep. Yes. And yep. I'm feeling resentful toward them, but again, not their problem. Yeah. This is not their problem. So what did I do? I wrote a clearer contract. I decided how many weeks I wanted to be able to offer. I wrote that down. I mean, you know, like you just have to pay attention mm-hmm. to resentment and be willing to look at it when it pops up. Yeah. So some of this is like you live and you learn like some of this. Thing yeah. Is like the jarring boundaries like that is OK. Almost this, all of it is. Yeah. So this particular scenario has stressed me out, caused me resentment, made me made me snarky. I'm going to learn from that and I can't let that happen again. Yeah. And what is it that I need to put in place? What's the easiest way to shift this? Yeah. For this to get better. And sometimes that's implementing a calendar system. Sometimes the boundary you need to put up is implementing software. Yeah. Or hiring some, I just hired a virtual assistant. Exactly. I don't know why it took me five and a half years to do it because I like the second I offloaded things to her, I literally could feel the stress level, like, like out of my body. Yeah. Because I know I had somebody to say, please take care of this, which for five and a half years, I haven't had anybody to say, please take care of this, you know? And it's true with scheduling, like for, for the podcast, I, I had to learn, I've been podcasting for a year now. I had to learn that I can only schedule interviews on Tuesdays. I can't do an interview on Monday, on Tuesday, on Thursday, What they have to all take place on Tuesdays because that's where I'm in my podcasting mind frame. So I can I can do three, four interviews on a Tuesday, but I can't do four interviews Monday through Thursday. So it is, it it was understanding what was stressing me out. And maybe I did have resentment towards them. Like, why couldn't they have like done it on a Tuesday? Well, because my calendar said I was available on Thursday. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 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 So the question, when you notice the resentment, the questions are like, is this an internal boundary or an external boundary? So what needs to happen here? Is this something that I need to shift? Or is this Mm -hmm. something that I need to have a conversation about, right? And if this is something I need to shift, do I need to implement software? Do I need to delegate? Do I need to sharpen my tools? Like one of the things that I ask people to do in the very beginning of our work together really frequently is start getting rid of the things in their home that really irritate them. Like if you, every single time you slice a tomato, you're like, oh, this knife is so dull. (laughs) Like sharpen the damn knife. There's so many things. There's so yeah. many things, but we are losing so much energy, energy to that. 
And it's harder to keep boundaries and to know what you want and need when you're wasting energy because your eggs are stuck to this fucking pan again. Yeah. Buy a new fucking pan. Yeah. It's so funny. We just, it's, we kind of put ourselves in these loops of like, oh, I hate this. Oh, I hate this. Oh, I hate this. (laughs) Yeah. Like stop it first do that because that helps you to really understand that you can make a massive difference in your world just by the internal stuff. Mm-hmm. You don't need to announce you're buying a new pan. You know, <laughs> no like shit. <laughs> no one gives a shit. Go to TJ Maxx, spend your $21.99, yeah. buy the new pan with the knowledge that in six months, you're probably going to get another one because pans suck these days. And that's the way life is. Yeah. It's so funny. So I have this thing about money where I, I, yeah. I, I have a hard time spending money even when I need yeah. things. Yeah. And like my husband will say, I don't know why you worry about this shit, Jules. Just buy it. Like, cause I'm not buying extravagant things. I'm buying like literally a sweatshirt, you know? Yeah. And he's like, Julie, you're cold. Buy a fucking sweatshirt. You know, like, but I, I don't know if there's so many little mental things. And I'm so glad we talked about neuroscience because like that all lives in there too. And the things yeah, that we spending money, our- it's not safe. It's yes. It's, it's not safe. Yes, exactly. Right. Exactly. Because this podcast is about networking and relationships. I do want to talk. I want to hit a little bit on boundaries around people. Yeah. Because I think there are relationships in our lives and they are toxic and we feel like they have to be in our life because they are family or because of one thing or another. Do you have advice for people who need to draw boundaries around people? Yes. So the rules for boundaries, when you have to draw an external boundary, I, like I mentioned earlier, the first set is that they must be clear, kind, and concise, right? So those three parts have to be involved. The next set of rules is there should be no thorns, which we've spoken about a little bit. So we don't need to be passive aggressive. We don't need to be sarcastic. We don't need to remind them of how they did you wrong in 1997. Right. Just so easy. To Sheila. Do. It's so easy. You know, it's so easy to do. And the other rule is we cannot leave wiggle room. Wiggle room is I'd really love to help you with this, but I'm slammed this week. Mm-hmm. And they're like, so how about next Monday? Yeah. First of all, if you would not really love to help them with this, don't, don't say, say that. Cause that's yeah. not kind. If we're going to go by the rules, clear, kind, and concise, it's not kind because you're lying. No need for that. Mm-hmm. So we, in that scenario, if somebody says, I really need help with this thing, you know, I can't do it without you, whatever it happens to be. And you literally, you don't have time for it and you don't want to do it. You say, mm-hmm. I'm really sorry. Yeah, actually, I would not say that. <laughs> we'll just scratch that. What yeah, scratch that. Yeah, like scratch that. No, I think it's important because we, we usually do start that way. It's such an automatic yeah. thing. I talk yes. about this every day and I still said that automatically, <laughs> even though that's never the example that I use when I work with clients, right? right. So you write back, I'm unable to do that right now. If you need other resources, check here, here, and here. Right. Like it's okay to still be kind mm-hmm. and send them to someone else, something else. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do it. And if you don't have any resources, that's fine. But there's four words you should be using. So in addition to the rules of clear, kind, and concise, and no thorns and no wiggle room, there are four words that you need to use in order to not be a brat. I'm saying that word on purpose, B-R-A-T, when you are setting boundaries. And those four words are belief or believe, resources, abilities, and trust. If you use some combination of these words or of the ideas that surround these words, it will be much easier. So when somebody says, I need your help, I can't do it without you. You say, I'm unavailable to help, 
I trust that you'll find the right resources. Mm-hmm. Done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I believe in your ability to find the right resources. Done. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you get this too as a coach, because uh, I get it a lot where people just say, oh, can I have an hour of your time? And I'm like, no, well, an hour of my time is a coaching call. Yeah. So my, my resp- I used to do that all the time. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever you want to talk about. And then I realized how much it was taking out of my calendar yeah. away from my clients. And so now I say, well, you can sign up for an hour coaching call with me, or here's my YouTube channel. Here's my book. Here's my podcast. So much free information that you can listen to that might answer your questions. And if they don't answer your questions, then sign up for a coaching call with me. But I had to draw boundaries around that because I I could spend 10 hours a week with people. But that's clear. My time. Yeah. Kind, concise. There's no thorns and there's no wiggle room. Right. That follows all the rules. Right. You did a great job. That's a perfect boundary. Yes. It Congratulate was, but yourself. It was hard. It, you, I felt guilty afterwards. I felt guilty yeah, every time. For I how long? Well, well, I felt guilty and then I felt really good. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, this is the other thing about building boundaries. So the more you work on the internal boundary, the less guilty you'll feel about the external one. Number sure. one. Number two, you've got to get a little bit comfortable with feeling a little bit guilty mm-hmm. because you're going to. And like, you're an adult, you can handle it. You'll be fine. Yeah. Yep. Do whatever it is you need to do to help yourself move through that guilt, but it's okay to feel guilty and still set a boundary. Right. Right. It will lessen as you use it and as it becomes more normal to you. Yeah. I guess I'd rather feel guilty about setting a boundary than feel resentful, resentful and, and not. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we've covered a lot today. This already makes me feel better. I, I love when I have conversations where I feel like, okay, I could, if I can get something out of it, I know the listeners can, they can implement it right away. And I think that is also something that's good for the listeners to know. Like this is, we are not doing big, big, big hurdles here. We are making small steps to make our lives easier. Yes. Yeah, start with sharpening the damn knife. Yes. <laughs> and, and yes, exactly. I'm, I'm going to put links to your podcast in the show notes, your website in the show notes, they can come to your website if they want to book you for speaking engagements, for coaching, for anything. I'll put that all in there. Great. Okay. Awesome. It was so great talking to you. You too. <laughs> Thanks. Well, that might not have been the advice I wanted, but it was the advice I needed. What Caitlin said shined a big old ugly light on the fact that most of my boundary issues are actually of my own making. One of my favorite books when I was young was Shel Silverstein's The Giving Tree. Now that I'm in my mid-40s, I look at that book completely differently. If you don't know the book, it's the story of an apple tree and a boy who develop a relationship with one another. The tree is very giving and the boy evolves into a shitty, self-absorbed teenager, a middle-aged man, and then finally an elderly man. In his childhood, the boy enjoys playing with the tree, climbing her trunk, swimming from her branches, carving meat and tea, meaning the tree, into the bark, and eating her apples. However, as the boy grows older, he spends less time with the tree and tends to visit her only when he wants material items at various stages of his life. In an effort to make the boy happy at each of these stages, the tree gives him parts of herself. Her apples, which he sells for money, her branches, which he builds a house out of, and finally, her trunk, which is used to build a boat. The book states that at every stage of giving, the tree was happy 
In the final pages, only a stump remains for the tree. She is not happy, at least at that moment. The boy returns again, a tired elderly man, to meet the tree once more. She tells him she is sad because she cannot provide him shade, apples, or any materials like she has in the past. He ignores this and states that all he wants is a quiet place to sit and rest, which the tree, being just a stump, could provide. The book ends by saying that in this final stage of giving, the tree was happy. Sound like anyone you know? There's actually an alternate ending to this book on the internet titled The Tree Who Set Healthy Boundaries by Topher Payne. The story is the same right up to the point where the boy comes to the tree asking for her branches to build a house. This is where we pick up the story. I'm too busy to climb trees, said the boy. I want a house to keep me warm, he said. I want a wife and I want children, so I need a house. Can you give me a house? And the tree said, okay, hold up. This is already getting out of hand. <laughs> Look, I was fine with giving you the apples to help you get on your feet. They'll all grow back next season anyway. But no, I'm not giving you a house. You know, I've seen boys like you pull this nonsense with other trees in the forest. First it's the apples, then it's the branches, then the trunk. And before you know it, that mighty beautiful tree is just a sad little stump. Well, look here, boy, I love you like family, but I am not going down like that. And while we're on the subject, the tree said, grabbing him by the collar of his shirt, I recognize friendships evolve over time and we may not see each other as often because you don't have time for your tree friends, but we used to be real tight. Now it feels like I only see you when you need something. How do you think that makes me feel? The boy took a long breath. He felt a sour rumble in his stomach because he realized he hadn't considered his friend's feelings. I bet it makes you feel bad, said the boy. Yes, boy, bad. I can't even remember the last time you asked me how I'm doing. How are you, tree? asked the boy. He sincerely wanted to know. So the tree told the boy all the gossip from the forest and introduced him to the family of red squirrels that had moved into her trunk. While she was glad for the company the squirrels provided, she was concerned about the long-term health effects of hosting a burrow. So the boy called the local arborist, who explained that squirrels don't eat wood, they only build nests in pre-existing holes, so the tree was in no danger. The tree was so relieved, and so was the boy. He loved his friend and was concerned about her long-term health, because she had taught him the importance of empathy. And so it continued. The tree and the boy looking out for each other like that, both of them content in the knowledge that someone had their back. The boy attended culinary school. <laughs> the tree took courses online to get her certification in small business management. They did their homework together nearly every day. The boy became a pastry chef. Together they opened a bakery selling the best apple pies anyone had ever tasted. It turned a profit in the first 18 months, which is most uncommon. Eventually, the boy had a son of his own, and much later, the son of the boy had his own family too. Because of their friendship, the boy was successful and fulfilled, and the tree grew wider and stronger, standing tall and beautiful in the forest for many, many, many years, plus a few even more after that. 
As each generation played in her strong old branches, the tree often thought back to the fateful day when the boy asked her for a house. In truth, she would have gladly given him her branches to build one. She would have given him her trunk to build a boat. She loved him that much. But then she would have had nothing left, not for herself nor for anyone else. And there never would have been a home for the red squirrels. There'd have been no hide and seek with the boy's grandchildren, no bakery with the best apple pies anyone ever tasted. Setting healthy boundaries is a very important part of giving. It assures you'll always have something left to give. And so the tree was happy. Everyone was. The end. There are lessons all around us, not the least of which is that sometimes the stories and the lessons we learned as kids need to be revised and updated. Because the tree in the giving tree was an apple tree, we're going to have another apple cocktail for the drink of the week. But this time, I'm pulling in the fall flavors, not pumpkin though. That can still hold on for a minute. I don't even know if this drink has a name. It's just one I make usually in the fall. It's... <laughs> I just call it Captain and Cider, so I take Captain Morgan Spiced Rum and combine it with apple cider, and then I put a cinnamon stick in the glass. If it's hot outside, I drink it cold. If it's cold outside, I warm it up and drink it warm. It's great either way. All right, friends. Thanks for being here. I hope this episode resonated with you. It certainly did with me. If you have a moment to review on iTunes, you know that that would mean so much to me. And until next week, cheers. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a tip. And remember, you can unapologetically be who you authentically are and still be wildly successful. That's a fact. See you next week on This Shit Works. This Shit Works.